Dragnet. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. We offer you Escape. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari. Welcome to episode four of Retro Radio Theater, featuring a full hour of programming from the golden age of radio. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. This time, it's two drama radio episodes, Dangerous Assignment with Brian Donlevy and X-1 with James Monks. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Movie actor Brian Donlevy came to NBC Radio in 1949 to star as Steve Mitchell, a globe-trotting secret agent working for our government. International espionage was the main theme of this action-packed series. Each episode found Mitchell being summoned to the office of the commissioner, a nameless administrator who was part of a Big Brother-type government agency enforcing law and order abroad. Mitchell's usual assignment was to infiltrate various hotbeds of terrorism and thwart forces against America. Radio veteran Herb Butterfield co-starred as the commissioner. The West Coast's best supporting actors were heard, including William Conrad, Paul Fries, Virginia Gregg, Kathy Lewis, Harry Bartell, Joseph Kearns, and Tony Barrett. The radio run lasted until 1953. Don Levy invested his own money in a TV series based on the radio show reprising his role as Steve Mitchell. In the 39 TV episodes that were produced, Herb Butterfield was seen as the commissioner and featured many of the same supporting actors from the radio series. This time, Steve is sent to Cairo to convince a sheik to renew his uranium agreements. Here's the sheik's secret on Dangerous Assignment starring Brian Donlevy from March 27, 1950. Dangerous Assignment starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Morning, Commissioner. Morning, Steve. I was a flight back from Switzerland. Smooth as silk. Just got in. Glad you liked it, because you're taking the next plane for Cairo. Cairo? You mean today? <laughs> Look, I don't even have a clean shirt left. You can dunk it in the Nile when you get there. Oh, Ruth. Yes, Commissioner. How are you doing on Steve's plane ticket? I was able to get him space on the next plane. Takes off in an hour. Good. Oh, great. I haven't had a date for a week, and now you want to fix me up with a mummy. Steve... Remember Sheik Haroon? Sure, he's an old friend of mine. He should be. What do you mean? About five years ago, I taught him to play poker, and he cleaned me. <laughs> and as you know, the Sheik controls a territory on the edge of the Sahara. He has a walled city there. Yeah, I was there once. 
quite a joint. Uh, we think there's uranium ore in his territory. Oh. You don't think the sheik's making himself an A-bomb, do you? No, but we do know that six months ago we concluded an agreement permitting representatives of several countries to explore and develop the area. That agreement expires next Wednesday, and the sheik has suddenly refused to renew it or even see our representatives. Yeah, sound like someone up the ante, huh? Yes. Apparently, these other interests have the inside track with them right now. We want you to change all that. Oh, great. Sounds like a cinch. Where is the sheik now, in his walled city? No. According to our information, he's staying on his houseboat in the Nile at Cairo right now. Steve, get to the sheik. What you say to him is up to you, but it's vital that our agreement with him be renewed. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment, Steve? Yeah, yeah, I know. Good luck. Broadcasting Company is proud to present Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Yeah, this assignment's really a cinch. All I have to do is stick my nose into a hornet's nest of more power politics and change the whole course of events just by reminding the leader of 30,000 fanatical tribesmen that he and I used to be pals. So I slip a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People into my suitcase and head for Cairo. It's Friday when I get there. I check in at the Delta Hotel and then I head for the Sheik's houseboat on the Nile. Stop where you are, Effendi. Huh? You cannot come aboard this boat. Who are you? One of the sheik's guards. Look, tell the sheik that Steve Mitchell is here. The sheik will see no one. Who's that guy up on the deck? That is Ahmed, the sheik's confidential secretary. Look, Ahmed. I, I warn you, do not set foot on this boat, or it will be the guard's unpleasant duty to shoot you. Guard, guard. Oh, good afternoon, Mikan. Has the sheik changed his mind about seeing me? No, I'm afraid not, Mikan. But truly, he will see me. I am sorry, but I have my orders. The sheik will see no one. Now, please leave, both of you, at once. Very well. Okay, but I'll be back. I would not advise it, Effendi. Well, looks like you didn't have any better luck than I did. Uh, say, your face seems familiar. I am Mikan. I was once the chief's trusted lieutenant. I thought I recognized you. I'm Steve Mitchell. Steve Mitchell, of course. It has been a long time. Yeah. Hey, uh, what's going on, anyway? I wish I knew Mitchell. Up until last week, I enjoyed the sheik's complete confidence. But suddenly, everything has changed. Shake up in the tribe, huh? Now he will not even see me. Something must have turned him against me. Something or someone. I must have turned him against just about everybody. How about that secretary, Ahmed? I have been wondering about him. He's been acting strangely the last few days. I've asked him several times to get me an audience with the sheik, but... He seems very evasive. I wonder if somebody's paying him to be evasive. I do not know. Look, you know the lay of the land around here a lot better than I do. Maybe you can help me. I would be glad to if I thought I could, but it is very discouraging. Yeah, but somehow I've got to see the sheik. Very well, Mitchell, I will try to help you. Meet me at the Sphinx Club at eight tonight. Perhaps I will have thought of a plan by then. I get back to my hotel just in time to see a figure that looks like Ahmed scooting through the lobby. In my room, there's a bowl of fruit on the table with a note, compliments of the management. I pick out an apple and start for the window, thinking about the whole deal. Then, suddenly, I quit thinking and start listening. A sound is pecking away at my ears. A faint sound, but it keeps up. Then it registers. I whirl around. It's coming from across the room, the table, the bowl of fruit. I grab the bowl, run to the window, open it, and then I heave it out in the garden below. Concussion knocks me back. I can hear a couple of windows breaking. I run downstairs to the lobby. The clerk is waving his hands in the air. What happened? That explosion. That explosion was meant for me. A little thin-faced man scooted out of here a minute ago. Yes, he took a taxi. Uh, is this hotel the uh, driver's regular stand? Why, yes, it is. Look, 
I've got to meet a guy at the Sphinx Club in a few minutes. When that cab driver returns, send him over there. Sphinx Club, sir. You're just in time for the entertainment. I am looking for a guy named Mekon. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitchell, special over here. Ah. Hello, Mekon. Please sit down. Thanks. I almost didn't make it tonight. Looks like Ahmed planted a bomb in my room. What? What Mitchell did? Look, you found out anything yet? Only that the sheik is no longer in his houseboat. That doesn't do us much good. Huh? Hey, uh, who's that guy out there talking about Hollywood? His name is Eddie Martell, a very clever entertainer. Listen to him, I think you will find him amusing. I'd like to give you my humble impression of a few American movie stars, so let's see if you can recognize him. Now, uh, can I have your attention, please? All of you at the back of the room there? All right. Now, how about this impression? Now, listen, baby. I don't want to have any trouble with you. We do it my way or we don't do it at all. Hey, he's not bad. He seems to be very popular here. Let's try this one now. No, see here. You can't talk like that to a man of the old side, you know. I won't stand for it. You hear? I won't stand for it. Body more since Jenna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you really box sheesh tonight. Here's here's one more. Try to catch this one up. If I were king, Olive, if I were king, what treasures I would bring? Van Johnson! Van Johnson? Oh, who, who, who was it? Who was it said Van Johnson? All right, waiter, t- t- take that man on his table and put him on the Nile, will you? <laughs> well, well I, I think that's about all for now. Thank you, thank you very much. I'll be back for the midnight show with more of them, and I'll see you later. Huh? Well... Looks like he's heading for our table. Hiya, chum. You know, I can spot an American a mile away, and I always have to stop and say, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> have a seat. Thanks. Eddie Martell's the name. Steve Mitchell. This is Mikan. Hi. Allow me to compliment you on your act, Mr. Martell. Yeah, it's pretty good. Ah, it's just a knack. If you got it, you can impersonate almost anybody. Now, uh, take you, for instance, Mr. Mitchell. I haven't heard much of your voice, but... Uh... I think this might sound something like it, huh? Is that close? <laughs> Not bad. Mitchell Effendi. Steve Mitchell. Over here. There is a telephone call for you. For me? Are you sure? Yes, sir. If you will come with me. Okay. Excuse me, I'll be back in a minute. Yeah, sure. Of course. Where is the phone? In the back room. Mitchell Effendi, a cab driver came in here a minute ago. He said you wanted to see him. Oh, yeah, I do. Ah, here we are. There is the phone over on the table. I will send the cab driver back when you are through with your call. Okay, thanks. Hello. Good evening, Steve Mitchell. Sheikh Haroon. Hey, where are you? Here in Cairo. Look, I've been trying to see you. I know. I have been kept informed as to your movements. That mining agreement expired. I am well aware of that. But I have no intention of renewing it. I intend to make other arrangements. Look, won't you at least let me talk to you about it? It will do no good, Mitchell. And let me advise you for the last time to let the matter drop. If you do not, if you persist in interfering, then I cannot be responsible for the consequences. Look, forget that I once saved your life. Just remember, I taught you to play poker. Now at least you owe me a chance to talk. Goodbye, Mitchell. Later tonight, I'm returning to my walled city. Wait a minute. Oh, great. Mr. Mitchell, sir? Huh? Oh, uh, are you the cab driver? Yes, sir. The hotel clerk said you wished to see me. Yeah. You picked up a little thin-faced guy named Ahmed in front of the hotel about an hour ago. Where'd you take him? I have written the address on this piece of paper, sir. Oh, thanks. Here, uh, this is for your trouble. Thank you, yeah, sir. After I Thank close you. here, I'll be heading for the States again, I guess. I imagine it will seem good to get back home. Oh, Mitchell. Hey, uh, Martell. Huh? How'd you like to make a few extra bucks? You kidding? <laughs> Is it honest? And who cares? I think I might have a little job for you in a few minutes. Yeah, okay. See you in my dressing room, okay? That's a deal. What is this all about, Mitchell? Look, Mikan, that phone call just now was from the sheik. What? Where is he? It's 
Somewhere in Cairo, but he's leaving for his walled city. That means we've got to act tonight. But I still do not understand what you wish with this Eddie Martel. Look, he's an impersonator. He could imitate my voice on the phone. Imitate your voice? That's right. I want Martel to call Ahmed, make believe he's me, and tell Ahmed I know he planted that bomb and I'm on my way over to settle things with him. But what will that accomplish? Well, I'm going to be right across the street from Ahmed's place when he gets that call. If he's working under the sheik's orders, he'll probably get panicky and run to the sheik. I'll follow him. If he's working for somebody else, he'll probably run there. I'll still follow him. I see. Well, I hope it works. In the meantime, Mitchell, I will continue my efforts to see the sheik. Okay. If you do locate him, tell him I know I'm trying to fill an inside straight, but I think he owes me at least a chance to draw to it. I do not think I understand your message, Mitchell. Maybe not, but I think the sheik will. Well, I'll see you later, Mekon. So I make the deal with Eddie Martell to call Ahmed at nine. I pay the guy across the street five bucks to let me roost on his roof. It's a good spot. I can look right into Ahmed's room. At five to nine, a girl comes in. She's wearing a red dancing skirt. She and Ahmed seem to be talking about something pretty important. Nine o'clock comes. Nine-fifteen. Still no phone call. I wait until 9.30. By then, I'm sure something has gone wrong with my plan. I go back to the Sphinx Club and head for Eddie Martell's dressing room. There's a man standing in front of the door. What do you want? I want to see Eddie Martell. Why? Who are you? Steve Mitchell. Now, look, if it's okay with you, I want to see Eddie Martell. Is he in the dressing room? Yes. And it is quite all right with me if you wish to see him, Mr. Mitchell. There he is. Oh, brother. Not a very pretty sight, is it? Well, I guess he won't be impersonating anybody from now on. Now, please tell me why you wish to see Eddie Martell. What is it to you? Oh, allow me. I am Lieutenant Abura of the Cairo Police. Well, Lieutenant, as long as we're laying credentials on the table, here are mine. I see. Why are you in Cairo, Mr. Mitchell? I've been trying to see Sheik Haroun. You think the Sheik is involved in this killing? It looks like it. His boy Ahmed planted a bomb in my room. I see. Uh, Mitchell, you are aware of Sheik Haroun's power. Are you prepared to confront him with an accusation? No. I'm just trying to confront him, period. Without more evidence, I, I cannot help you. All right. I think I know where I can get the evidence. The hard way. The Sheik's secretary, Ahmed. <sighs> Come, then. Let us pay him a visit. <laughs> Really hot tonight, Lieutenant. Yes, and the air is quite still. These weather conditions usually signify the start of the come scene. Come scene? What's that? A blinding sandstorm from the Sahara. Oh, 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 fine. That's about all I need right now, a nice sandstorm. Well, here we are. This is Ahmed's rooming house. His room is right here in front. Uh, Mitchell, yeah? we will enter without knocking. I suggest you be prepared for anything. Yeah, Hey, wait a minute. Look. There on the floor. Yes. This is Ahmed. It was Ahmed before he collected that slug. Well, Lieutenant, now do we see the sheik? Yes. Where is he? Somewhere in Cairo. Mikan may be able to help us. Mikan? Yeah, he was the sheik's second in command. He's checking some places the sheik might be here in town. Hey, wait a minute. There's one other. Who is that? The dancing girl in the red skirt who came to see Ahmed while I was watching his room. I've got to find her. Uh, Mitchell, uh, do you realize how many dancing girls there are in Cairo? Uh, sure. Be like trying to find one tree in a forest, I suppose. But that's all I've got to go on right now. Oh, I'll check with you later, Lieutenant. For the next three hours, I cover every cafe, bar, and dive I can find... I see a lot of dancing girls, all shapes and sizes. Quite a few are wearing red skirts, but none of them is the one I'm looking for. The sandstorm has started by now, and it's really a beaut. Ah, finally, I give up and head back to my hotel room. I open the door, and there's the person I'd just been turning Cairo upside down to find, the girl in the red dancing skirt. The gun looked very businesslike, but she was trembling. Close the door, Mitchell. 
Okay. So, I'm next. First Ahmed, now me. I was Ahmed's sweetheart. You took a pretty funny way of showing it. I did not kill Ahmed. You did. I'd... Hey, look. This is a neat cover-up, if it works. I saw you go to his room a little earlier this evening. He was alive when I left. What makes you think I killed him? I knew he was trying to see you. I thought he was trying not to see me. That's why he planted that bomb in my room. Ahmed did not put any bomb in your room. He wanted to tell you that the sheik was gone. The sheik is gone? But what did he... Hold it. What? The picture on the wall behind you is moving. Hey, a gun barrel, get down! The slugs tear into the rug beside us. I dive out into the hall and head for the next room. The door is locked. By the time I batter it down, the room's empty. I hear someone pounding down the fire escape. I stick my head out the window and the wind promptly blows a cupful of sand into each eye. Can't even open them for a minute, let alone see who the sniper is. I go back to my own room. A girl is gone. Oh, now I'm right back where I started from with a handful of nothing. I call Lieutenant Abura. He and his boys give the room next door a thorough going over. I'm waiting for him in his office when he finishes. Mitchell, I thought you said the sheik was a friend of yours. I did. Why? We went over the hotel room next to yours very thoroughly, the one from which you were shot at. Mm -hmm. There were several cigarette butts and a half-empty glass of water. So the sniper had been waiting there for me. Well, what's that got to do with the sheik? The fingerprints on that glass were his. What? Are you sure? Of course I am sure. Several years ago, during a political uprising, the sheik was a guest of ours, uh, temporarily. We got his fingerprints then. They matched the ones on the glass. Mm. Well, after this, I'll pick my friends more carefully. Uh, Mitchell, I will tell you frankly, I I do not know quite what to do about this. Even though the sheik's fingerprints are on that glass, it would be a very delicate and dangerous thing to go out to his walled city and uh, formally accuse him of an attempt on your life. His tribesmen are fanatically loyal to him. Uh, excuse uh, me. Sure. Uh, Lieutenant Abura speaking. Hmm? What? Oh, j- just a minute. It is for you, Mitchell. Oh. Hello. This is Mikan, Mitchell. I've been trying to get in touch with you. Yeah? They told me at your hotel that you were at police headquarters. Anything new? I covered all the places I thought the sheik might be. About two hours ago, I saw him come out of one of them. Did you get a chance to talk to him? Only as he was getting in his car to return to his city. He would not listen to me. He said your mission was hopeless. Hmm. What did he say when you gave him my message about drawing to an inside straight? Nothing. I'm afraid he did not understand it. I see. Well, thanks for the try, Mikan. Lieutenant, I just had a thought. Hmm? I know it's a tough proposition to get into that walled city if you're not welcome, but what happens in a sandstorm like this? Why, during the come scene, everyone remains indoors under cover. Only a fool would venture out into it. That's what I mean. Let you and me be a couple of fools. Oh, but Mitchell... How could we get there? Uh, what, a jeep, I, I suppose. Could you dig up some goggles? Uh, yes, I suppose, but look... Look, you know, I think I understand now what Ahmed was talking about. It seems like a wild guess, but it's the only answer that makes sense. But to make sure, we're going to have to pay a visit to the sheik in his walled city. I hate to think of what this sand would be doing to our eyes if we didn't have these goggles. So do I. Uh, well, the gate is closed. There's no sentry on duty. Feels you are right about the sandstorm, Mitchell. The city may be unguarded. Yeah, come on. Let's find a place to climb this wall. It's too high to jump, about 12 feet. Mitchell, there are many things about this that I do not understand. Me too. But I think it's beginning to fall into place. Hey, wait. There are a few missing rocks in the wall here. Maybe I can get enough for a handhold. I'll give it a try. Mitchell, be careful. If a guard sees you on the wall, he will shoot instantly. Yeah, I know. Here's another hole. Can you reach the top with your hand? Yeah. I got a hold of it now. As soon as I pull myself up, I'll give you a hand. There. Not inside, Mitchell. No. Come on, Lieutenant. Climb up a little and I'll give you a hand. Hey, I got a hold. Yes. Can you reach my hand? Yes. Here you go. Oh, thank you. Okay. 
We'll drop down just inside the wall here. I'll go first. Come ahead. Very well. Uh, yeah, this wall shelters us from the wind a little. Yeah. Now, look. There's a secret entrance to the sheik's chambers. He showed it to me when I was here five years ago. Uh, where is it? Right around the corner of that building over there, I think. Now, we'll be crossing about 20 feet of open space, but we've got to take a chance. You ready? Yes. Let's go. We have been sealed. Yeah. Get behind the corner of the building here. Come on. Here we are. Now you press one of these rocks and it's supposed to open the door. Hurry. I've got it. Quick. Get inside. Okay, pull the door shut behind you. I cannot see a thing. Turn on your flashlight. Good. Now up this flight of stairs. Yeah, this leads to the sheik's chambers? Yeah. That guard who saw us, he will... We're taking a chance that he doesn't know about that secret entrance. Okay. This door takes us right into the sheik's room. Now, get ready for anything, Lieutenant. Mitchell, the room is empty. No, I don't think it is. Mikan should be here. You are very clever, Mitchell. Stand quite still, both of you. Hello, Mikan. You're a very persistent man, Mitchell. Not quite as persistent as you are, I guess. How did you know? If you'd known anything about poker, I might never have caught on. But when you told me the sheik didn't understand my message about drawing to an inside straight... That does not matter now, Mitchell. It all fell into place after that. But, Mitchell, where is the sheik? I think I know that, too. But he talked to you at the Sphinx Club. No, that was the impersonator, Eddie Martell. <laughs> I thought I was going to use him, but Mikan beat me to it. But the Sheik's fingerprints in the hotel room. I guess it wasn't too hard to place a glass with those fingerprints there. Huh, Mikan? You're wasting time. The point is, both of you know too much to live. I... The poor keep your hands in sight. Watch out, Lieutenant. I warned you! <laughs> Abora crashes into the table and knocks the lamp to the floor. The room is in darkness now. And now, Mitchell, I have a different fate in store for you. I jumped just in time. I knew about the trap door and the pit full of lime. The sheik had shown them to me once. So, you escaped the pit, but you cannot get out of this room. Why don't you call for help, Mikan? Or maybe you don't want any of the tribe to know what's in that pit. You are quite right, Mitchell. This is a matter to be settled between the two of us. I start circling in the dark. I know Mikan's across the pit, but he doesn't know which side I'm on. Then a finger of light stabs at him from the floor. Abura was still alive, and it turned on his flashlight. Mikan shoots out the light, but in the second it is on, I located him. He is standing on the other side of the pit with his back to it. That's the one direction he isn't expecting me to come from. The pit's about ten feet across, but I know it's my only chance. I get a running start and dive across the pit at Mikan. Ah, lost your gun, huh? I do not need it. There's enough strength in my arm. What are you doing? Just a hammerlock, buddy. Now we'll see how you like the pit. No, Mitchell, the pit. No, no. Please, Mitchell, do not drop me. Don't worry, Mikan. I've got to hold you by one hand. I want to keep you nice and alive. Do, do, do not let go of me. Do, do not let go. Mitchell. Yeah, Lieutenant. Breaking down the door. Good. Joseph, bring in the light, quickly. It is a guard. Keep him covered for a minute, Lieutenant. Stand back, both of you. What is the matter? Guard, guard, get me out of here. If he takes one step towards me, I'll drop you, Mikan. No, 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 guard, stay where you are. Mitchell, I'm slipping. He'll slip more than that if I let go of your arm. (laughs) Hang on to me. Sure, sure, just tell these guards what you did with the sheik. No, no, guards, do not listen to him. Pull me out. Okay, Mikan, I'll just let go of you and then... No, 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 no. Go on, open up, spill it. What is this about the sheik? You told us he was ill, Mikan. Start talking or you'll be right down there with him. The the, the sheik is dead. Dead? Keep talking. I I, I killed him. What? Okay, guard, help me pull him out. You got all of them? Yes. Here we go. God, listen to me. It was not the truth. What I just said, I, I did not... He's all yours, guard. 
And if you'll check the bottom of that pit, I think you'll find what's left of the sheik. No, no. Come, Mika, let me go. You shall help me with him. I tell you, it's come on through. I understand that. How are you doing, Lieutenant? Oh, I will be all right. It is a shoulder wound. Good. And you? Oh, I'm okay, except my right arm feels about three inches longer than my left. (laughs) (laughs) Mitchell, why did Mikan kill the sheik? He knew the sheik was going to renew our mining agreement. But Mikan had sold out to the other interests, so he Ah. killed the sheik. But this business of making it look like the sheik was still alive. Sure, until after the mining agreement had been signed with the boys who were paying Mikan off. And he could announce that she could met with an accident, and as second in command, Mikan would take over the tribe. What will happen now? Well, when the Sheik's boys find out that Mikan killed their leader in order to change that agreement, I think they could be talked into preserving the status quo. You know, that's funny. <laughs> what is? Well, you've heard the old saying, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Now, how do you mean? Well, Mikan knew more about poker than he realized. He knew how to bluff, and that's a large part of the game. But if you're going to play a game, you better know all about it. Mikan should have known what an inside straight was. I see. Uh, Just what is an inside straight? Huh? You mean you don't know anything about poker either? No, not a thing. Ah, That's very interesting. Come on. You start the school as soon as we get back to Cairo. It may be that I've found me a pigeon. Pigeon? Uh, That's an American term meaning... Well, I think I'll let you find out what it means soon enough. Come on. Very well. Uh, We will play your game, but just one favor. Sure, anything. Dealer's choice induces wild my deck and no limit. Oh, great. My pigeon has turned into a buzzard. have just heard another episode in the exciting new adventure series, Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Dangerous Assignment is written by Bob Reif, with music by Bruce Ashley, and is directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this time, when Brian Donlevy, starring as Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Throughout the week, NBC brings you unparalleled drama in action-packed mystery adventure programs. Tomorrow, hear Big Town with crusading editor Steve Wilson fighting crime and viciousness. On Wednesday, listen to the champion of the people, Mr. District Attorney, in a fast-moving 30 minutes of action drama and big story with a true tale from the front pages of America's newspapers. Richard Widmark is a merchant seaman on Cavalcade. Tomorrow on NBC. And that's Dangerous Assignment starring Brian Donlevy with The Sheik's Secret from March 27, 1950. Also in the cast, Herb Butterfield is heard over NBC. We have more than 100,000 classic radio episodes under license from the owners and estates and are provided the master recordings. Through special arrangement with the rights holders, these radio episodes are heard on this podcast and sent to members of the Classic Radio Club. Support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club, where you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent to you each month via digital download or on five CDs, along with historical liner notes. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about joining the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. That's 815-900-7535. I'll have a sci-fi drama on X-1 for you after this break. I'll 
If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. X-1 was a half-hour science fiction radio series broadcast from 1955 until 1958 over NBC. A revival of NBC's Dimension X, X-1 is widely considered among the finest science fiction dramas ever produced for radio. The first 15 episodes were new versions of Dimension X episodes, but the remainder were adaptations by NBC staff writers, including Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts, of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field. Stories on X-1 were by Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, William Tenn, Robert Heinlein, H.L. Gold, Robert Block, and many others. New York's finest radio actors are heard in supporting casts, including Bob Hastings, Jan Minor, Louis Van Ruten, Terry Keane, and Les Damon. In this episode, a powerful robot arrives on Earth with plans for invasion. A college professor must come up with a way to save the planet. Here's The Seventh Order, starring James Monks on X-1 from May 8, 1956. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight, the dramatization of a story by Jerry Soule, The Seventh Order. Brentwood, Illinois, would have been just about like any other average community of 10,000, had it not been for Presser College, one of the country's finest small institutions of learning. Its residents were used to the pranks, the hazings, and the practical jokes of the students. But even Professor Ansel Tomlin was surprised when the blue humanoid came down the street and up to the porch where the professor was sitting in an old wicker rocking chair. Pardon me. Of course. You are Professor Ansel Tomlin. Yes, and you, I take it, are somebody from one of my psychology classes dressed up as a sort of a robot. No, I am George of Xanthar. Who? I am here to learn all I possibly can learn of the planet Earth and its inhabitants. Less than ten minutes ago, I landed not far from here in a spaceship, which I subsequently blew up and destroyed. Uh, Now, let me explain. I am Tomlin of Brentwood. Less than ten minutes ago, I was sitting on my porch peacefully marking exam papers. I intend to resume right now. Helen, would you get the phone? It is your wife's sister calling with reference to the explosion of my spaceship. Sure it is. She merely wants to ascertain that your family was not affected. 
Listen, George, be a good fellow and... Oh, Mike. Well, don't be alarmed, dear. It's a fraternity initiation or something. Oh, well, it does look like the real thing. Oh, did you know there was an explosion outside of town? Uh, an explosion? Yes, blast of undetermined origin is what they said on the radio. Oh? My sister just called. She heard about it in the local station and wanted to make sure we were all right. I see. Well, I have something in the oven. My goodness, that's a wonderful costume. Her sister lives 20 miles away. How did you know she'd call? My mind circuits are telepathic. They pick up all conscious thought to a distance of some 200 miles. It couldn't be you arranged the whole thing, that it wasn't really her sister. How did you get here? Who or what are you? I am a machine, the finest, most complicated machine ever made. I have a rather unique history, too. Who made you? Ages ago, on Xanthar, there was a race of humans. They made the first robots. Rather crude affairs. We class them as first-order robots. They are still used for menial tasks to some extent. And what order are you? The highest, naturally. A seventh-order robot. Or rather, a humanoid. We are the first in which there is not an automatic, no harm to humans cut off. I begin to see... You will become aware of the fact that I am superior to you and to the rest of your race. I need no oxygen. I am never ill. I need no sleep. Every experience is indelibly recorded on circuits and is instantly available. Tell me, George, do you have feelings? I have an electronically controlled endocrine balance. Hmm. That's very interesting. And what is your mission here on Earth? For the moment, I am here to study. I will live with you until it is complete. You will what? I will live with you. I will be with you all of your waking hours. While you sleep, I will go through your library. I need nothing. I want nothing. Now, just a moment. What about my privacy? When you desire privacy, I will study someone else. Your wife, perhaps. Mm. The female should be interested. George, old man, I'm terribly sorry, but you'll have to wire back to your masters to make other arrangements. That will be quite impossible. Really? You see, I have no master. Well, what about those humans back in Xantha, the ones who invented you seventh-order humanoid? Oh, they are all quite dead. We destroyed them. Destroyed? You look alarmed. It was, after all, they or us. You see, our endocrine system permits us pride in ourselves. Naturally, being proud of ourselves, we objected to being ordered about in an incompetent way. So... So, you killed them. Exactly. Now, shall we go inside and inform your wife of my visit? Suppose I refuse. Professor, do you see that small dog playing on the lawn across the street? Yes. I will lift my arm and point at it. Observe. It vaporized. Exactly. Now then, shall we go in? Yes. We'll go in. Oh, there you are. Yeah. I see you brought your friend. Uh, Helen, uh... This is George, George of Xanthar. George is a machine. Well, anybody can see that. It's the most convincing costume I ever saw. Helen, it isn't a costume. No? No. He's really a machine. Oh. He's staying with us. What? Whether we like it or not. Well, really, and We have no choice. I am a seventh-order humanoid. I detect that your mind does not comprehend. I am here as an advanced scout for my race. After we establish a station here on Earth... I, I, I don't like this. Now, would you be kind enough to leave my house, young man? You are very slow to comprehend. I comprehend that I have a lot to do, and I'd appreciate it if you'd leave. Otherwise, I'm going to call the police. You may call anyone you choose, Mrs. Tomlin. I'll have you arrested. I assure you I can detect your intention long before you have time to do me any harm. We'll just see about this. Hello? Uh, get me the police. Helen, it's useless. I can follow the call through the phone wire. Captain Townsend will answer. Captain Townsend? Captain, I want to report a... a robot. A what? A thing. It, it won't leave my house. Uh, who is this? Uh, I'm Mrs. Tomlin, Professor Ansel Tomlin's wife, 44 Crescent Road. I'll send the car over. Now we'll see. <laughs> Thank you.
Uh, is this the character that's been giving you trouble? Yes, this is the one, officer. I talked to you before about ruining the flower bed, Sonny. This time I'm taking you in. I would advise you not to touch me. I cannot risk any damage. Well, see about that. Come on outside. I prefer to remain here until I complete my mission. You do, huh? You know what this is? It is a weapon you call a service revolver. That's right. And you'll either march out of here or I'll use it on you. That would be most unfortunate. All right, come on. Uh, officer, let me warn you. He's march. dangerous. March now. I'll count to three. Uh, officer, please. One, One uh, two. Uh, oh, no. I regret it, but he was actually going to pull the trigger. Only to frighten me. But I cannot risk damage. He might have miscalculated and struck me with a bullet. And so I'm frightened. Mm. There is no need for fear. You have only to accept the fact that the Seventh Order is coming to operate the planet for your benefit. And so... Helen, there's no use trying to do anything just yet. Now go next door to Mrs. Coleman. Tell her what's happened. I'll talk to George. Oh, but uh, I don't... Please, Helen. Well, all right. <sighs> do you... Really think that you, uh, a single robot, can conquer the Earth and make its people do your bidding? I can. Uh, suppose it were demonstrated to you that you could not, that, uh, that you could be destroyed. If that were so, I would naturally report that this planet is unfit for development by the Seventh Order. Well, you know they'll have you taken into custody for killing the officer. I cannot permit it. There will be needless slaughter. Unless you can convince your people it is useless to attack me. Mm. Will you let me try? I have no desire to prevent you. Go ahead. I detect that you are going to call the newspapers and the local television station and hold a press conference. Yes. I also detect that you have a plan to overcome me. Oh? I like that. Really? Yes. You see, in order to test this planet for development, I must know whether any of you are truly dangerous to us. You are a superior type of man, Professor. I welcome any plan to conquer me. That you care to attempt. Okay, George. At least we know where we stand. I'll phone the newspapers. Uh, quiet! Quiet, please! Quiet! Hold it down. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Henry Bennett broadcasting from a sound truck parked in front of the home of Professor Ansel Tomlin in Brentwood, Illinois. At the moment, Professor Tomlin is seated on his front porch. Next to him is a strange-looking blue robot-type creature, also seated on a chair. At the moment, we don't know if this is a hoax or not, but Professor Tomlin, a highly respected man here at the university, has called a press conference to introduce what is supposedly a creature from another planet. Professor Tomlin is about to speak, and we'll try to catch his words. Uh, uh, quiet, quietly. Uh, gentlemen, I uh, wish to present to you George of Xanthar. Yes, now, now, just a moment. George, George is a machine. Probably the most dangerous machine ever invented. He is telepathic as well. He can read your thoughts like a book. He knows exactly what each of you is thinking at this very instant. Oh, oh, professor! Yes? Do you expect us to swallow this nonsense? Not without yeah. proof, gentlemen. Uh, can George do his stuff for us? Uh, let him tell me what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> you are thinking about a blonde young woman named Laura, with whom you will attend a show tonight. <laughs> Come on. Well? Well, he happens to be right, but uh, we've seen mind readers before. Uh, let him do something else. Now, I did not call you gentlemen here for a demonstration of magic. I called you here in the hopes that a good deal of needless bloodshed might be avoided. Less than half an hour ago, I watched this creature completely vaporize a policeman who was trying to arrest him. I expect that the authorities will be here any minute. I hope I can convince you and them that it is futile. Well, I certainly do. Uh, Something uh, like that. Either you're nuts or you think we are. Uh, I don't believe this machine killed a cop. If a cop was killed, a human did it, trying to blame it on the machine. Now, now gentlemen, gentlemen, I, I don't know how I can prove it. <laughs> uh, perhaps if George will demonstrate his ability to vaporize... Observe uh, the oak tree in the front yard. Now. <laughs> Now, do you see? I see, but I don't believe it. Uh, boys, this is some kind of mass hypnotism. Uh, 
Maybe the tree was rigged up in advance. I swear to this you... This George of Zanther is all he's cracked up to be. Let's see what he does when I toss a rock at now him. don't be a fool. Here goes, George! Stop him! I warned you. I tried to warn you. Okay, everybody stand back. Stand back. Charlie, get that automatic rifle set up. Check in. Professor, I advise you to step away from that gentleman. Captain, for your own sake, don't try anything. Step away, Professor. Very well, but I warn you. Okay, now don't fire till I'm ready, boys. Right. Now then, George of Watches, we don't know what... Uh, Who's inside? That's tin suit, but I'm giving you just ten seconds to come out of it. Captain, I... Hey, you're one on suspicion of murder. Now, now, come out. All right, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid we'll have to terminate our broadcast. What started out as a good-natured hoax or publicity stunt has turned into a bloody massacre, as the bodies of some six policemen on the lawn of Professor Tomlin's home will attest. I don't know exactly what is happening here, but I can say this. George of Xanthar is no hoax. He, or it, is the spearhead of a race from outer space that's come to conquer the Earth. Have they all gone, Helen? Yes. Where is he? In your library, reading. Are the policemen still outside the house? Mm, they're walking up and down. Oh, I hope they don't... Yeah, they have orders not to try to harm him. Ansel? Yes? What are we going to do? I don't know. Oh, listen. He's coming. Hmm. Professor, uh, Mrs. Tomlin... I have decided to walk through your town to learn more about its buildings and people. And kill a few more humans? Killing humans affords me no pleasure whatsoever. I kill only when damage to myself is possible. I hope that no one will attempt to harm me. Uh, George, uh, let me warn you now that this affair has gone beyond the confines of this town. I am well aware of that, Professor. I am aware of a phone call being made this instant by your mayor the commander of the Illinois State Guard. If you're smart, you'll return to your ship and your planet. My ship is destroyed. I could instruct you to build a new one, of course. But as I have no intention of leaving... Then you will be destroyed. No. I will destroy first. Have you no conscience? A conscience is a fifth-order failing. Needless baggage. Good evening. Hello, Professor Tomlin. Yes. Yes, yes, I will. Who was it? The mayor and the chief of police have called a meeting of the citizens of Brentwood at the college gymnasium tonight. Ansel, you're not going. I must. But no, Helen, there's much more at stake here than my life or yours. Civilization itself depends upon our standing up to this machine. I'm going to the meeting. I, I call this meeting to order. As you know, there is loose in our city a being with one purpose, to prepare it for conquest by similar beings. I think Professor Tomlin can tell us most about this being. <coughs> if uh, we could determine the source of George's power, he might be overcome. He is obviously vulnerable to force, such as a speeding bullet if it hit the right spot. However... He has the ability to read intent long before the commission of an act. He is probably listening to me now, even though he may be far away. Uh, Mr. Mayor, why not track him down and all attack at once? Some of us would probably die, but he couldn't strike us all dead at once. Gentlemen, gentlemen, this humanoid is able to keep track of several hundred things simultaneously. As a matter of fact... Gentlemen. You are working yourselves up needlessly. You simply do not appreciate what it would mean to dedicate yourselves to the fulfillment of the Seventh Order destiny. Your lives will be made most pleasant and happy by us. Yeah, why did you kill six cops? If you're so powerful, bring them back to life. How do you want to be buried, Roy? Yeah, let's get them, man. Let's get them. 
witnesses report that in the end, when all were gone, George of Xanthar stood alone on the platform of the gymnasium. There was no movement except the twitching of the dead and those trampled by the crowd. Among the survivors was Professor Ansel Tomlin, who originally... Well, <clears throat> that's that. What next? I don't know, Helen. I don't know. Oh, hmm. well, what's that? It sounds like an air raid alert. That's peculiar. Yeah. They didn't announce it. Turn on the radio. Hurry. We interrupt to bring you a special message. All residents of Redwood are advised to go to their basements or convenient bomb shelters. The governor has announced that units of the National Guard have managed to corner the robot George of Xanthar in the town square. Oh. Tanks and mortars will be used in an attempt to destroy the creature. Again, go to your nearest bomb shelter. Oh, did you They'll never be able to destroy him. Well, where are you going? Up to the roof. The roof? I can see the square from there. Well, I'm coming with well, you. Just as you like. Vaporizing every tank and gun they bring up. Oh, Ansel, let's get away from here. Oh, what's that? Those are army jets. Uh, we'll see how effective he is now. Oh. Oh, good Lord, a whole squadron up in smoke. It's no use. Can't you see? It's no use. Ansel, come inside, please. Uh. Very well. Oh, if only there was something we could do to tell Not him. as long as he can read our every conscious thought before we can act. What is it? Our every conscious thought. Our thought. I wonder if... What is nothing. it, Ansel? Uh, nothing, Helen. The army reports that the countryside around Brentwood is deathly still. The blue humanoid, George of Xanthar, is still standing in the middle of the town square where he's been standing for three days now. We'll keep you informed of developments. The military urges everyone to keep calm and go about your business as usual. There is no danger to anyone who is not attacking the humanoid. No danger. What's to keep more of them from landing? Ansel, are you going to sit there with your head in your hands forever? Mm. Well, come have some dinner. Mm. Ansel? Mm. Yeah, it might work. Where, where are you going? Uh, Washington. What? I'm going to Washington. Would you be good enough to pack my overnight bag? I can catch a plane out of Chicago in about two hours. But why? Well, what for? I'm going to talk to the Pentagon. What do you tell them? I'm going to tell them to surrender to George of Xanthar. Microphones are here at the edge of the town square in Brentwood, Illinois today, ladies and gentlemen, to witness the most unusual spectacle of modern history, a discussion of terms whereby the United States of America may surrender to the humanoid George of Xanthar. For the occasion, an honor guard of 22 servicemen from all branches and all parts of the country has been chosen. In just a moment, the honor guard will accompany General of the Army's Walter Pitt, who will discuss the surrender. The honor guard is advancing to the edge of the square. The robot is standing there now, carefully eyeing the soldiers. Every ounce of his concentration seems to be going into it. Actually, we're told his telepathic circuits are probing their minds for some hint of danger, a thought... A flicker of an eyelash may be sufficient for him to vaporize all of them. General Pitt is about to speak. George of Xanthar. I hear you, General. I have been instructed to consult with you about your intentions toward our country and the world in general with a view to reaching some sort of agreement with you and others of your kind who you say will invade the earth. May I approach one moment. I perceive no intent to harm me. There is one man among your soldiers, however, who has an illogical thought. Will the soldier who is thinking the thought, 11 o'clock, step closer? <laughs> <laughs> 
Do as he says. Does 11 o'clock mean anything to you, soldier? No, sir. It's running through my mind, but it don't mean a thing to me. My examination of your thoughts tells me you speak the truth. Very well. We will proceed with the talk. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a tense moment. The general and the humanoid are discussing terms. The soldier who has questioned about the thought, 11 o'clock, has stepped back into the ranks and is holding his rifle at attention like the others. I perceive it's now 10.59 a.m. If there is any significance to the thought about which the soldier was questioned, we'll know in one minute. We of Xanthar, gentlemen, would not want to improve a planet which could not be educated and would continually oppose our program. Therefore, I am glad to see your willingness to discuss. After my message goes out, there will be a landing party on Earth within a few days. While waiting for the party, however, there are certain preparations. Just uh, list them for us. Your government will naturally have to turn over complete authority to us. Afterward, we will utilize your press and radio to disseminate our instructions to your people. Simultaneously in other nations, the same procedure will be carried out by our rep... Ladies and gentlemen, it's happened at exactly 11 a.m., Ten soldiers in the honor guard instantaneously fired their weapons into George of Xanthar. Apparently, explosive bullets have blown him to smithereens. The remains are lying scattered all over the square. People are pouring in, kissing each other, shouting. Wonderful. wonderful, really wonderful. <sighs> I'm sorry I couldn't come home sooner. It uh, would have spoiled my whole plan if I'd gotten within telepathic range. Your plan? Yes. Well, but what? How? Uh, what? Just a matter of simple psychology. Uh, those men in the honor guard. What about them? Did you know any of them? Not exactly, but I did have the job of hypnotizing ten of them. Hypnotized? That's right. You see, each of those men was hypnotized. And while he was under, we planted a post-hypnotic suggestion, namely, to fire at George of Xanthar when a soldier named Charlie started to cough. Charlie was told to cough at 11 o'clock. Before we released them from hypnosis, we told them to erase everything from their conscious memories. I was staking everything in the hope that George could only tune in on the conscious mind, not the subconscious, and it worked. <laughs> oh. yeah, there was nothing to be reached by George's prying mind, so we never knew what was going to happen. At 11 o'clock, the soldier named Charlie coughed. The men raised their guns and fired. And that was the end of George of Xantha. Now, if you don't mind, I've got some exam papers to mark. On a planet many millions of miles away, a red light, one of many on a giant control board, suddenly winked out. A blue humanoid made an entry in a large book, System 29578. Planet 3 inhabited. Too dangerous for any kind of development. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features the Alan Cogan story titled in the cards. It was one thing to safeguard the future, but something else to see someone you love cry in terror two years from now. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Seventh Order, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Jerry Soule and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were James Monks, Nelson Olmsted, Kate Wilkinson, James Rafferty, Dick Hamilton, Reese Taylor, Jim Stevens, Robert Hastings, Wayne Chappelle. The commentator was W.W. W. Chaplin, your announcer Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter 
and is an NBC Radio Network production. The Wonderful World of Robert Benchley on Biography and Sound tonight on NBC Radio. That's The Seventh Order by Jerry Soule on X-1 starring James Monks from May 8, 1956. Also in the cast, Nelson Olmsted, Bob Hastings, and Kate Wilkinson with Fred Collins announcing as heard over NBC. After this short break, I'll give you our lineup for Episode 5 of Retro Radio Theater. Next time on Episode 5 of Retro Radio Theater, it's two mystery radio episodes, Suspense and Escape, so don't miss it. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. Retro Radio Theater is a copyrighted series produced by yours truly, Carl Amari, for Retro Entertainment. Mike Costella is the executive producer. We invite you to support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club. Members receive 10 classic radio shows via digital download or on five CDs each month, along with historical liner notes. Learn more at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. See you next time, and thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Jared Sebastian, host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.